Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Gospel Tangents is supported by users like you. Please support us at gospeltangents.com or on Patreon. It's the best source for Mormon history, science, and theology. And first daily Mormon history podcast, I'm Rick Bennett. I'm excited to continue our conversation with Scott Vance. This time we're going to talk about two-hour church. Is that actually helpful or hurtful to retention to the LDS church members? Scott has some ideas on how to improve it, so you won't want to miss this conversation. Check it out. So is two-hour church a good thing or a bad thing? In terms of retention, I'm skeptical. I mean, you even see this in the 1980s. And in fact, the church published some of the data on this in the 1980s when they went from the essentially all-day church meetings and, and breaks in between. And primary in the middle of the week. Yeah, and all of that to the three-hour block on Sunday. Um, the church published an article in the Enzyme saying that their sociologists had researched it and these were the positive effects and these were the negative effects. And the negative effects were that um, single members and people who traveled further missed um, the communion that they felt at church on Sunday when they had the shorter block me- meetings. So that's, that's something that they noticed even back when they went to the three-hour uh, block. That you know, was like 30, 1980, I think? That was 1980, yeah, 33 years ago, roughly. Okay, so back then they noticed, well, I guess it wasn't disaffiliation because they were still growing. Sure. So how do you, how do you explain that? Did, there was less community? or So I, I think the level of community dropped slightly at that point. Um, but there weren't the other social factors which were pushing as hard. Um, After the year 2000, uh, you get a lot of factors. Um, There's obviously the internet, which in terms of researching historic topics and whatever, you can say the internet has had a negative effect on on the LDS church perhaps. But I think the larger effect is just the loss of community when people spend more time online because you're not with the group of people, therefore you feel less affi- affiliation with the group. Um, and I could be totally making this up, but that, that's my impression. <laughs> All right. Um, so if the brethren came to you and said, should we reinstate three-hour church, you would say? Uh, I would say, uh, what to do? That's a tricky one. Um, I... I do think there's discontinuity when they go between Sunday school one week and the other classes the next week. And I think that that's negative. I would, I would say that if they want to be successful, they should have a, a constant program, the same program every week. Um, whether that means shortening the classes or, or getting rid of one of them, I don't know. Half hour Sunday school, half hour priesthood? Or you skip... Uh, Sunday school entirely, and you do priests and relief society, and you combine the Sunday school curriculum into the priesthood, for instance. Oh, so you have a Sunday school lesson on priesthood? Yeah. Okay. For instance. Um, I don't know the answer there. But what about like road shows and basketball tournaments and things like that? I think that'd be a huge plus for the church. I think that uh, the church has a number of talented, amazingly talented people, which they saw when they asked for submissions to the hymnal. 
they got so many more than they were ever prepared to, and it cost them years of delay. But it's because the members care, and they're talented, and they want to help. You know, I have to say something. I know with correlation, is, you know, they want to make the hymns simple so that anybody can play them or, you know, that sort of a thing. I attended a Bicker Tonight service with Steve Pineacre back in Florida back in January, and that piano player was freaking amazing. <laughs> they would say, play this hymn, and, and it was like jazzy and fun, and I was like, wow, this guy can really play. And it sounds like, I mean, I've been told, I've only been to one, so I can't say, uh -huh. but it sounds like a lot of these branches of the Bickertonite Church have these amazing piano players, and I think it really adds something to a meeting when you've just got this really rousing music. And I, I think it's a kind of a mistake. I mean, I can understand the simplicity, and if you don't have a piano player, it's a great idea. But if you do, why not take advantage of that to increase the spirit? I think it's great. Certainly, I, I think that would be good. And you do have a lot of strong congregations who have that person who can play like that. Mm -hmm. um, the trick for the church in the last decade or so, I would say, is that they're attached to the growth narrative, which means they want to exhibit positive growth. And part of the way you do that is by not closing congregations. Closing congregations is scary in a couple of ways, but one way is you look like you're shrinking. The other way that is scary is now people have to maybe commute two hours instead of one hour to church. So in areas where the church is, is weak, that's, that's hard for people. Yeah. Um, so because of that, in certain areas, you have very small congregations. And when you have the small congregations, this it's harder to get a good piano player. Yeah. So they really, they really need to have a variety of hymns with a variety of skill levels so that they can do both. Yeah. So decorrelate, is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah. I think they need more flavors. I think they need to accept more flavors in, in the sphere of the church and, and do some local tailoring. I've, I've spoken to some insiders at, at some point who gave me an indication that the church was thinking about moving in that direction. Um, hmm. We'll see. But I think that would be a smart move. Yeah. Pageants. President Nelson has shut down the Manti pageant, the Hill Camorra pageant. Yeah. What do you think about that? Uh, the pageants were problematic in certain ways. It was fun because there was the history and it was fun for members and families to go perform in these pageants and that increased engagement. So that was great. Um, certain pageants had some latent racism and some other issues that really needed to be addressed. So at a minimum, they needed to rewrite the pageants. Okay. Um, should they still do pageants? I think that it would be wise to have two to five pageants um, throughout the church. I would, if I was in charge of the church, which I never will be, <laughs> I would put one in Cardston. I would have one in Manti. I would have one in the Salt Lake vicinity. Um, maybe slightly outside so that people can go outside the city a little bit. Well, and I know Manti, we, it's probably an hour and a half from my house. Sure. We hadn't been for a long time, and then, of course, COVID killed it. But, uh, you know, it was a big economic driver. Manti's a very small town. Sure. We, we had the dinner at the local steak center, and it was good food. Yeah. And the whole town, it was an economic boost to them because – you had people from everywhere coming, yeah. including the anti-Mormons. I mean, I thought it was funny talking to uh, Benjamin Schaefer from the uh, from a Christ Church, their uh -huh. uh, polygamous group, yeah. 
And he said they would go send their missionaries to go fight with the anti-Mormons so that the Mormons could walk by in peace. <laughs> Good for them. That, that sounds fair. Yeah. So, so I thought that was funny. And I would still, I mean, I'm not much of a camper, but still just the chance to go to Manti. I mean, it's a special thing. And, you know, Clarkston had the Martin Harris pageant. Yeah. They had just gotten church funding because they were independent before that, which kind of mm-hmm. relates back to your thing. Sure. And then the church gave them a bunch of money and then took it all away. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't think it was a smart strategy, but that's, that's just me looking from the outside. I, I think that the pageant's Not that you're counseling the brethren or anything. Well, see, I'm allowed to because I'm actually not a member at this point. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so, so they're allowed to ignore my counsel and, and, and at least in theory they can't excommunicate me because what are you going to do? I don't know. <laughs> It's too late. Yes, they missed their chance. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So go ahead and we'll we'll, we'll sure. jump back into your presentation here. All right. Um, so church growth we talked about. Um, the other point I bring up is that there are certain uh, I call them markets because this is a, an official conference, but let's call them certain countries where the church does better financially than other countries. It's no secret that tithing income in the United States and Canada. Um, is very high, and it's maybe very low in some African na- nations. Um, my understanding from my mission present way back in the day was that uh, the United States, Canada, England, Australia, and Japan were the countries where the church had a net positive income from tithing, meaning they brought in more from tithing than they spent on church buildings and all other church activities. And then every other country in the world, which is a lot of countries, the church is actually sending in money from Salt Lake City to build the local buildings and to keep things floating. So from that perspective, it's not surprising that there was a statement uh, in 2005 where President Hinckley, evidently in a conference for leaders only, um, said that you know the reason why we need to have more mission, missionaries in, in North America, in the United States, is because there's greater return on investment. If, if you make a convert there, then they're going to pay more tithing and they're going to you know, help grow the church as opposed to a convert in Africa who's maybe not going to pay any tithing, but you still have to build the church building, and so that's a, a negative cash flow. Hmm. Um, so at least historically, it's my impression that the church has concentrated um, proselytizing efforts, missionaries, in markets where it matters. And, and there's a lot of businessmen in the church and in church hierarchy, and they're smart people, and so I, I mean, that's, that's a logical course of action. Okay. Um, so the, anyway, so if these markets or countries or whatever show negative growth, then that's a bigger deal for the church than if somebody in Africa should leave the church, just economically, dollars and cents. Um, so that's, that's my first argument. The next is that the loss of youth is really troubling for church leadership, because if you lose the young people, um, then that's the next generation of the church. And they've said this in, in conferences. They care a lot about the youth, and I think that care is genuine. So with, if the youth are leaving, that's, that's a big concern. Um, there was a leaked video from 2012 which indicated that perhaps as many as 70% of the youth worldwide were, were leaving the church. 70? 70. Wow, that's really high. Yeah, and I don't know what the actual number is. I don't know if it's 50, 70, or whatever, but um, 70 was, was the impression I got from that video. And, and Jenna Reese has quoted that as well. Um, and, and if that's the case, then 
then this is a big problem. This is a problem we're going to try to fix. I mean, let's look at that. I know I talked to John DeLynn a year or two ago, mm-hmm. and he, when he was worked for the church, he said that activity rates were 30%. So maybe it shouldn't be surprising if activity rates are 30%. We would expect 70% of the youth to leave, right? Not quite. Not quite? Uh, yeah, and, and Jenna Reese and others have pointed out this. In previous generations, in the 1980s, it wasn't 70%. It was more like 30 to 50%. Okay. Um, it seems to have gone up since the year 2000, if, if I'm reading the data correctly. Uh, plus, the other thing is the barrier to entry for, for the LDS church is very low. Uh, if you want to get baptized, we'll do it this Sunday. Walk right in, step right up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if you want to get uh, baptized as a Jehovah's Witness, you've got to study for two years and pass the test. So very, very different paradigm there. And because of that, at least at one point, uh, I want to say that the one-year retention rate, uh, that 67% of new converts left within one year. Um, so That two, wouldn't surprise so me. So two-thirds of the people coming in the door walk right out within a year. And if that's the case, you're going to have to do better than 70% in terms of youth retention if you want to maintain a 35% activity rate. Okay. So, Interesting. Yeah, so that, that's the numbers as I understand them. Um, so then I launch into these partner organizations, which I've already talked a little bit about. We have the Morgood Foundation, Book of Mormon Central, FAIR, obviously, the Temple and Observatory Group, which people may not be familiar with. Right. Um, Faith Matters Foundation, um, which See, is, I didn't realize they were a church organization as well. And I am not positive that they are. Okay. Um, I have the least amount of evidence for that organization, um, but there are some signs which indicate that that may be the case. Okay. Um, the Woodsill Foundation, uh, there's some pretty clear indications there, and the Interpreter Magazine. And the Interpreter is another one that kind of boggles my mind. I don't know if we should jump into that now or later. What do you prefer? Up to you. Up to you. <laughs> um, let's let's go there. All right. Um, because the interpreter really started as a foundation called Farms Foundation for Ancient Research and Mormon Studies. Back when you could say Mormon, it wasn't verboten. <laughs> I think it was 1980. Does that sound right to you? That, that is correct. Yeah, Jack and Welch. So, why don't you tell more about Farms? So Farms was, was started by Jack Welch or John Welch. He has two names, but <laughs> I think he goes by Jack. He goes by both, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was basically the apologetics organization for the church. It was unofficial at first. Um, it was kind of a side project, um, I believe, of BYU professors and, and like-minded individuals. Uh, in, I want to say, 1997, it became part of BYU, came officially under the BYU umbrella, uh, and it continued until 2012 in one form or another, although by 2006, I believe, maybe the Maxwell Institute had started up and they had started transitioning away from farms. And they just changed, basically changed names from farms to the Neil A. Maxwell Institute. That's my understanding. But they also changed mission, and they also hired some new folks and switched leadership at 2012, and, and some people would consider 2012 when there was a hard shift in in the organization. Um, Daniel Peterson was somewhat controversial um, for his uh, charismatic attacks on those who were not positive towards the church's message. Um, 
uh, he, he said a lot of things and was, uh, from his perspective, he's defending the faith, right? Um, and he's defending it very strongly. Um, but some of the things he said uh, may have been offensive. Um, there's the classic institute or the classic incident with uh, Brent Metcalf, who we've talked about in this program. You may have even interviewed him. I have not interviewed Brent Metcalf. You need to. I do need to. Yeah. Um, but basically, uh, I believe it was Daniel Peterson. It may have been somebody else at Farms, but they wrote an article about some random topic. But they chose the first letter of every word in this paragraph so that if you took the first letter out, it would say Brent Metcalf is a butthole or something like that. Butthead, I think. But maybe it's butthead. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So little things like that. And they went to publication and then somebody realized this and then they, I believe they stopped publication or republication, republished that issue or something. Oh. If I'm remembering correctly. Anyway, bottom line. Mormons are known for their niceness. Members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints are more known for their niceness. And this organization was not nice. With the very, they did a lot of ad hominem attacks. Yeah. Attack the person, not the yeah. argument. Yes, absolutely. And so that's what I find so interesting. So Farms becomes Neil A. Maxwell. Yeah. They're supposed to be more pastoral, less yeah. combative. Yeah. And so... Daniel Peterson gets kicked out, basically, sure. yeah. um, and restarts the organization, this time as the Interpreter Foundation. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say it's the same organization. So the Interpreter is it's a magazine. It's a month. I don't even know if it's monthly, but it, it's an online magazine. They publish articles. Uh, these are articles defending the faith, but there are also articles of curiosity, like what did the Urim and Thummim look like? Um, Mormon-related research, uh, maybe not to the academic level of like the BYU publications. Yeah. Um, so a lot uh, more. Uh, what do we want to call these? Apologetic. No, I, I was going to say um, member scholars who maybe don't have the academic credentials okay. uh, are writing for these people like me <laughs> who, who want to be helpful and, and want to contribute, but maybe don't have the academic background. Okay. So interpreter, because we, we, you and I talked about this yesterday, you would still say interpreter is much more apologetic in nature than Maxwell Institute, Absolutely. which is much more scholarly in nature. Absolutely. Yeah. And they're not interested in things like Book of Mormon historicity, whereas interpreter still is. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And so I know in your presentation, was that yesterday? It seems like <laughs> yeah. it's been a long day. Yes, indeed. <laughs> um, you had said in one of the quotes that the church leaders had defended certain organizations, Book of Mormon Central, etc. Is that where you're going next? You uh, want to jump ahead there? We, we can jump ahead to that. So I'm saying that they've named these organizations explicitly and said that the that they're good organizations, basically. Um, there's a couple of different ways. So Interpreter gets the stamp of approval, even though there was a big rift when they were part of Neil A. Maxwell. Yeah, so let me, yeah, the Interpreter does get the stamp of approval um, from the church. So in And where is this stamp of approval? So in 2019, uh, the church through the Institutes and Seminary Program, the church education system, um, was kind enough to tell um, youth, essentially, 
you know, if you're studying the gospel, this is the way to do it. And if you have questions, this is where to go. So the gospel tangents wasn't on that list. You didn't make the cut. <laughs> Oddly enough, um, which is unfortunately, honestly, because you do such good work. But Oh, thank you. But anyway, so they have using divinely appointed sources. They have this whole video about how it's important to use the right sources because if you use the wrong sources, it's like drinking water from a polluted stream that somebody's just put some chlorine tablets into, but it's really polluted. Um, the, they, you know, the visual analogies, which right. the church likes to do. Anyway, so they have these divinely appointed sources, which they're calling. So it's funny because we used to always talk about church approved sources and people don't like that term, but evidently we have God approved sources <laughs> <laughs> instead of church approved sources. Anyhow, um, so they have the page, which you click on the links and that has three different lists. The first list is the official church resources. I mean, that's official, so you're supposed to go there, right? That's number mm -hmm. one. Number two is the church-affiliated resources, which is basically BYU, everything done out of BYU. So Maxwell Institute would be included in that, even though it's not explicitly mentioned. Yeah, it should be. So they do link to BYU Religious Studies Center, okay. and Maxwell Institute may be under the Religious Studies Center. I'm not sure. I'm not sure either. I think yeah. so. Yeah, it probably was. Okay. And then list number three is the other resources. And they, they start with the, um, the classic disclaimer, right? The following websites are maintained by third parties and not affiliated with the church. So, you know, red flag there. Um, linking this content does not imply endorsement by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Okay. So use it at your own risk. But they have a list of approximately eight organizations. Among that, you have um, LDS uh, General Conference Corpus, which means... It links to all the general conference talks. So this is... That's not third party, though. They're calling it third party because it is actually maintained by a third party. Um, so it may... Not intellectual reserve? No, it's not, actually. Oh. Yep. I'm surprised to hear that. Yeah. Because you can still search... It, and it, I say LDS.org because it's so much easier to type sure. and it still works. <laughs> yep. yep. No, it's true. So, so this is on BYU server, but it's, main, it's maintained by uh, a member. It's not maintained by the church. Okay. Yep. Um, but the other resources on there, uh, they have the Webster's Dictionary from 1828, which not too risky, hopefully. Yeah. Um, but they also have Book of Mormon Central. Okay. One of these organizations, they have FAIR, obviously. Uh, they have Latter-day Saints test Scholars Testify, which is a part of FAIR, um, but it's, it's a separate website, so they list it separately. Uh, they have the Interpreter Foundation, which we've talked about, um, and they have Faith is Not Blind, which I didn't go into in the presentation, but they're on my watch list. Okay. Um, that was actually, if I can, this is gospel tangents. You're, exactly. You're ready for a tangent? We can go there. All right. So uh, faith is not blind. I, I, I'm, you know, because it's on the church's list, I'm convinced this has to be associated with the church somehow. So I, I go to their website and I start reading articles and things. And, you know, somebody publishes an article, there's a comment section. So I start reading the comment sections. And... It's all of these computer bot comments. You're familiar with these. Sort of. If you don't monitor your comments, then computer bots come in and make these automatic comments in order to try to get link backs to their sites, right? And there's porn sites. Oh, really? different things, yes. Um, it, anyway, so it, it's surprised. So I guess it's not really... So it's not well-maintained. But it, okay. what I'm saying is that whoever's in charge of that website needs to go back through and... Clean up the comments. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Auto-delete on those. Okay. Yep. Well, they're going to end up off the list if they're 
advertising porn. Well, they're not advertising porn, uh, and, th- and there are no links, right? But it's if you read the comments closely, you'll see one in five or whatever is these bots that are up right. to no good. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway. Interesting. So um, anyway, so these organizations, I'm arguing, are closely aligned with the church, and they're maybe closely aligned in other ways. So I talk about some of those other ways that they're aligned. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Scott Vance. In our next conversation, we're going to talk about funding of these LDS-adjacent groups. And then you can look at the private donors, and you can calculate it out, and it comes out to about 20% of the total donations that they they get. Just from mom and pop, whatever. Kind like of rich mom and pop, very rich mom and pop that, <laughs> that just happened to give a hundred thousand here or a million here, whatever. Thanks for listening, and I hope you to continue to enjoy Gospel Tangents. Consider becoming a Patreon or go to gospeltangents.com/shop, and you can get a cool tie, a hat, or even a nice mug. You can also get a sweatshirt. So check it out at gospeltangents.com/shop. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.